Have you ever wondered what it takes to build a successful business in the Australian property industry? Well, you've come to the right place. Welcome to Business and Property Development, a monthly podcast in which industry leaders share their insights and experience with host Harry Karadimus. Hello and welcome to the show. This is the second part of my conversation with Luke Rust, founder of Outbound. In this part, we'll be talking about how Luke took Outbound from a series of ideas and a pitch deck to commercially piloting its first on-demand EV service. We also cover some of Outbound's use cases at various scales of property development. For example, the city scale, at master plan community scales, right down to the scale of an individual property development project. There are some fantastic opportunities for development projects here to ensure that we're pushing the sustainability envelope to create future-proof buildings which ultimately create more valuable properties that will stand the test of time and lessen the impact we have on our environment. I hope you enjoy it. If we were to take a to go back into the outbound side of things i remember just talking about this proof of concept so you were having conversations about the people in your in your building when you first moved in and this was something that was sort of getting a bit of traction you were talking to other people outside as well what was that point in time where you thought actually this could this could become more than an idea i think at the point that i'd started to tail off from the previous company we went through a program with river city labs in brisbane river city labs is the sort of premier incubator accelerator space within Fortitude Valley in, in Brisbane. I think Steve Baxter set it up years ago and, and and sold it. And so I think coming from startup world and sort of seeing how this generally you go and get into accelerators and do incubators and, and all that sort of stuff, I thought, well, let's take this through one and see what falls out. So we went through an Activate, it's called Activate program, very early stage, mentoring, feedback, guidance, how do you go through the next bit? Did that, I think it was a six week program about this time last year, had a pitch day and all the sort of fun startup-y stuff that you can't wait to get out of that bit. Made me go and get market feedback, made me go and work out where the right pilot sites were, gave me good feedback on how much money you need to raise to do that or the right way to go and build the tech or, or, or whatever. And so that kind of gave me the confidence to know how to do it. And then quite early, we had an opportunity with a site up in Queensland where they'd tried to buy or they'd looked to buy two Teslas a couple of years ago to run a sort of chauffeur service for guests. And so got it got introduced to the CEO there and he loved it. And it was, okay, when can we do this? And at that point, I had a pitch deck and some things floating around in my head and some feedback from some other people. And when at the point that they went, yep, we want to do this this year. When, when can you get this going? I then had to go <laughs> <laughs> rapidly go and figure out how do we get car, tech, insurance, charging infrastructure, blah, 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 everything else that comes around it, the brand, the support teams, the, just to go and do the first service. So as much as, yes, it, we kind of skipped the proof of concept bit a little bit and went straight into doing a commercial service. It took a little bit longer from the point of them saying, yes, we're keen to progress. Um, you know, COVID hit, but they ran a hotel up there. And so occupancy fell to less than 20%. And so it was a really tough time in tourism. But they, it was always, yep, we would still like to do this. Just give us a bit of time to get back on our feet, which gave me a bit of time to go and figure out how we go and do it. But yeah, and you know, in, in sort of more traditional, innovative SaaS companies, you can do a 
proof of concept quite quickly and it can be a dashboard or whatever on your screen we have hardware plus software you've kind of got to go straight into commercial or a commercial type service or pilot quite quickly so yeah so as soon as hotel was kind of back on its feet in the background we were furiously preparing tech and and stuff like that and you know everything around that like for us to go and get insurance for the first service was really hard insurers at the moment don't understand electric vehicles and the life of the battery and and other aspects they particularly don't like tesla because they don't understand the full self-drive capabilities of the vehicles and what that means for safety concerns in theory from my point of view it makes them far more safe but they just don't understand if tech takes more control over the um the drive so yeah that was an interesting one and then they also don't really like sharing so they don't particularly like one car share between how many people who's driving it where are they from what's their record how does that work um and look car share has been done so it's kind of understood but when you're mixing electric cars that they don't really understand sharing which they don't particularly like and I only wanted to do one car. You know, if this was a fleet of 100, they would go, yeah, 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 we'll look at that because, you know, the upside for us is great. We ended up finding a pretty innovative insurer that was willing to take a punt on me, the vision, what we were trying to do and insure the one car. So then, I mean, you've got this one, the, the single site, the start. What did it look like in its first iteration? What did you have when it, when it finally up and running? Uh, we actually created a bit of an e-mobility hub. They gave us three car parking spaces, prime position out the front of the hotel, which is partly amazing, partly terrifying. <laughs> it was sort of wedged between a couple of pillars and it was undercover, which was great. There's a few bits to how we pull that site together. So we have signage, we have obviously chargers, uh, we have vehicles, firstly installed two chargers one that can be used for guests to charge um, which is great so which was a value add for them as well because they couldn't offer that at the moment and then we had a the, the central space was for our tesla model 3 and they had a um, we put another charger in dedicated for that vehicle and then we've also left another space where we're going to put some some e-bikes uh, in the near future Eventually, that becomes a little hub where you've got access to vehicles when you need them, depending on your trip type. If it's an e-bike because you want to go around the corner to the hospital or to the shops, um, you've got a Tesla if you want to have a day trip around the Gold Coast, or you've got a, a charger if you've brought your own car and you, you want to charge up there. So it was pretty. It was kind of a weighty project even from the start for a very small team and a very small company, but it looked amazing. We've got really good signage on, on one of the pillars and also on the um, car parking spaces too and a little sign out the front just pointing you towards it so yeah we had a lot of people driving by going what the hell's going on here um, and we're just going through a lot of the pr stuff now and working with the local papers to get the word out around it because it's very topical uh, tourism is very topical at the moment you know and how tourism bounces back from covid and and hey look they've seen great numbers coming through the doors but also fuel prices and evs are very topical as well so actually the positioning for them as a hotel is really good so that's the hardware and the in-situ side of things but mentioned there's also a software component to to what you've got as well that's that's an app that you can sort everything out through and organize your journeys based on what you need so as you go into the hotel and the front desk there's qr code because everything's based on qr code now uh, there's a few qr codes knocking around the hotel now but yeah download the app an initial onboarding you know we just need the usual things whether it's for insurance purposes or for payment purposes or, or whatever uh, once you're into that app it looks very much like uber or, or kind of similar mobility apps at the moment click on your car you can reserve it for kind of up to an hour you can unlock it using your, your phone as well kind of really seamless really hands-off for the property that's what we want to get to is once they're onboarded property shouldn't need to touch it they are super engaged and they, they want to be all over it because it's amenity they offer and and the app is very very 
simple. And we want it to be simple and seamless once you're onboarded, which is which is really nice. So that's nice and intuitive. Yeah, but you know, it gives us good control over the vehicle. We get a lot of good data in the back end. We can control those vehicles and help people remotely as well. So if there are issues, uh, which we haven't had too many so far, which is good, we can support from kind of anywhere in the world. I'd like to move on to value proposition. I guess there's a couple of different avenues that we can explore here. There's the community that uses them, and then there's also the property assets that have this tech deployed within them. Probably good to understand from, say, a property's point of view or a hotel or a property development or a build-to-rent facility, the value proposition for something like Outbound to be deployed within it. Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, we've got these sort of overarching reasons and drivers that we're doing the business, you know, whether it's sustainability, whether it's getting people out of the private cars, but that as a mission and and the the values piece doesn't just change behavior. That enough alone doesn't get property operators putting it in their building to solve those sort of macro problems, global problems that we're we're trying to solve. We have to solve a load of sort of micro problems for for each of those players within it. So for the communities, it's very simple. The need to not own a second car or a first car and be able to access quite a premium car at this point when you need is is really great. So there's sort of a sort of, there is a novelty factor to, hey, we're going to take a Tesla for the day, especially in tourism world. That's quite cool. Some people are driven by the impact they're having by that. So they see the uh, CO2 returns that they or, or the benefit they're having when they take the vehicles which is great and yeah so we're trying to sort of reduce car dependency people can can use it when they need and actually the financial returns over a year are far better than owning a car which is really great so that that's kind of how we're targeting the users and embedding that within your residential experience as far as possible from a developer point of view there's two key drivers there one's on parking and obviously your You've been in the industry a while. Parking is always a hot topic in every development. And so there is a version of the world where when you've got shared vehicles as part of your development, you don't need to have the level of private car parking. Because if people are using the service, they don't necessarily need to have their own car that they're parking downstairs. Now, there's probably not enough data in the world at the moment to really support that and go to councils and say hey we want 50 percent reduction on car parking in our new development please because we're putting in two teslas via outbound yeah and the smarts and the, the data on that will come through and i think it will be a lot easier for councils to make decisions around that in the future it is happening now putting forward a, a proposal at the moment to council up in queensland where it'll be a very small bill to rent zero car parking private car parking, just our service. So it'll be e-bikes, it'll be uh, electric cars. It's very close to the tram there, uh, which gives you good access to most of the Gold Coast. If that one goes through, that's a really interesting signal from councils around, well, hey, you know, maybe we don't need as much car parking as we've been putting in previously. And from a developer, the savings on not needing to put subground parking in, you know, there's potentially millions of savings there. So that's one key driver and that's usually the first question from a developer is how well do you know the council and can we get rid of a layer of underground parking because you'll save us five million dollars that i think some of that will happen and i think there'll be huge efficiency benefits for the developer it's going to take a little bit longer at this point it's very much around residential experience amenity it's a sales and marketing tool it's a benefit for when you come and live work stay in our building and so that could help with boosting rent it could mean we sell more it could mean all sorts of things different kind of people that want to live within your development actually that was a, a topic that i wanted to explore a bit further so use cases so obviously there's there's residential and there's hospitality are there any other and you mentioned council as well are there any other use cases which may be a little more unusual where you can see something like this being deployed 
Yeah, definitely. Um, the two key worlds that we're playing in are sort of car ownership, car rental and car sharing. And we kind of sit in, because they're well-located assets, we play across all of those spaces, which is really good. The three core pillars that we started with was, well, we started in Resi World because that's kind of where the concept was initiated. And we just see that that is a key use case for what we do. It's quite challenging with body corporates and other things. Build to Rent's a wonderful space where they kind of need this sort of service. And it's a far easier contractual relationship. Then we obviously fell into the hotel space and had a hotel come to us quite early to do it again that's a bit of a no-brainer vehicles on site for people to use people are very used to having car rental when they go on holiday why not have a set of vehicles here for them to use because generally people rent a car for two weeks while they're on holiday use it three times maybe convenience correct yeah yeah. and look we're never going to displace the entire car rental industry people will still want that flexibility and convenience but there'll be some people maybe for business that will just fly in pre-book the the outbound vehicle for the two hours they need and it'll be far cheaper and far easier so yeah hotels are a really nice one then commercial space commercial we didn't really see coming but again it's generally one building owner lots of renters lease leases within that building which is really nice contractually they're all trying to attract people back into the city back into the office spaces so any additional amenity that gets people back in is gonna be really valuable for them at the moment so again we're an additional amenity additional tool and then yeah around that we've been exploring a few a few different opportunities master plan communities less dense slightly more sprawled communities where there's still a drive for you know working from home generally using local amenity in terms of shopping and leisure and and other things and actually people aren't driving as far as they used to so we're looking at concept of mobility hubs spread across sort of small towns you know there's towns within queensland where you know large developers have got large blocks of land and they're building small cities so as part of that why aren't we layering in the mobility infrastructure layer you know, why don't we have a network of well-positioned vehicles, sustainable vehicles that people can use when they need, rather than every occupant needing to have multiple vehicles to get around? Because some of them, you're so landlocked in those sorts of cities. You know, you're so dependent on owning your own car. Around that, universities are a great fit. Airports could be great. Car parks, you know, we could end up sort of some of the bigger car park operators. As, as car ownership starts to tail off, car parking will become a really interesting asset class like how, how do you keep monetizing that asset generally really well positioned real estate as well you know having a set of vehicles there that people can access and that could be a slightly more public version of the service there's a fair amount of that that could almost become i wouldn't say redundant but it needs to be repurposed at some point but also again well located real estate you know so in terms of running a really good mobility service, having access to that sort of thing is really important. Yeah, because often car parks can be attached to larger modes of transport like train stations or something like that where you have to drive in to use it, but park your car for the day. And coming back to what you said, it's like a hub. So there's options. Yeah, Yeah. so any sort of hub is great for us and especially where it connects to other modes. So if you come into the city uh, on a train and you know that there's going to be outbound vehicles when you, you get there that's great similarly with airport that's one of the big pushes for state government over here and councils is that multimodal transportation it's so easy for people to just jump in their private car at home take it to the office you know jump out jump back in later and drive home how can we make multimodal transportation really seamless you know how can we get people into hubs whether it's a train station or, or, or whatever take that into the city and then have a sort of last mile connection whether it's an e-scooter or something else that gets them into their last 
point rather than needing to own a car. It's really hard to do. No, it's a, it's a very good point because I'm actually just thinking of my own experiences. I, I used to base my work decisions on how far the train station was to the office. In fact, for my life, like when I used to work in architecture, there used to be a fairly decent sort of walk from Central up to Surrey Hills that was always walked. It'll be good if you didn't have to do that or if you could do it in a much more frictionless manner. I mean, look, the most sustainable mode of transportation is walking. <laughs> is our it legs. is, it is, yeah. You know, and, and the, the, the only silver bullet for sustainable transport is walking cycling or not traveling zoom and teams and those sorts of that's a mode of travel it enables us to achieve the goal of travel without needing to if you're looking at sort of policy levers and stuff around sustainable transport you want to get as many people walking cycling or not needing to travel as, as far as possible. as possible outbound in action looks like a very intuitive piece of tech to use uh, hardware for that matters what's the ideal time to begin planning for something like this is it in sort of early planning stage like you mentioned you know all the way up from master plan cities to embed that layer in or you're looking at an individual property development When's the best time to consider this? As a developer, early, earlier the better. You know, especially if it's for, for future developments. You know, getting us in even pre-planning stage is great because we can help inform planning. You know, you may get some benefits of having the service as part of your planning application. So, look, we want to stop designing buildings around car parking and have them better built around mobility and the need to access mobility. So yeah, look, early is always better. We can, of course, do it late. Existing buildings, we can retrofit quite easily. The other major considerations around e-mobility is going to be power capacity. You know, we are generally pretty constrained on the grid. Aside from our service and having several electric cars in your building, you're going to want to have several other electric chargers and so preparing for that future because now two percent of the cars are electric or whatever but that's going to grow and there's going to be far more demand and speaking to a lot of the apartment developers uh, certainly up in queensland they're all thinking about well one day we might need 10 percent of the basement to be electrified how the hell are we going to do that where are we going to get the power from how are we going to manage that how are we going to manage the usage of that and so that's a kind of entirely different challenge, but we need to plan for that early, whether that's grid connection or, or whatever it is, or wiring up the basement without putting in the hardware. There's sort of a layer of prep that needs to be done. Generally going into a basement now in any of these buildings around here, putting two charges and two cars in isn't a problem. It's when you scale that up in the future that it might become an issue. I'm wondering if that's a policy issue as in allowing for that kind of power to come into it because if you if you run it very lean in terms of your capacity and there's no ability to actually increase it without putting something like a substation in that's not the easiest thing to do so it's almost like councils or need to be looking into that sort of a lot more substantially Definitely. yeah yeah because you hamstring that building in the future if it doesn't have the power available when residents or guests or whoever need to have electric charging in there especially in apartment buildings. It's going to become a real issue. So we can see it, like I think it's happening in Queensland, certainly where I think building rigs are going to change, you know, around having capacity available for let's say 10% of the residents to have EV chargers and potentially getting the wiring in for that. Um, there's no point doing it now because, you know, a lot of the hardware, the, the end user hardware and how people engage with it is changing so quickly. But having the wiring in just so we can run 20, 30, 40 charges in the future is a, is a good thing to have. It has to be policy informed because you also get a mix on the developers, right? So you get some that want to build, sell, get out and actually lowering the cost of build and not having to do that they're not they're not going to do it and so that has to be driven by policy and then you've got the build to rent folks which is coming through a lot in in australia at the moment where they're building and holding that asset for the long term 
they're the ones that we're seeing very focused on what are the needs of our residents now and in 10 years and in 15 years and in 20 years and what do we need to do as part of the initial development to prepare for that because yeah they'll face real challenges in the future when uh, more e-vehicles come online in terms of what's coming up for the company moving forward you know you've got your you've got your hardware and your software sorted out so what's on the horizon in terms of what it's going to look like in the future or have you <laughs> is that a difficult one <laughs> no look it's not a difficult one i can see where it's going to be in two three four five years and the vision's quite clear of how big we are and where we get to and what it looks like the fun challenge is how we navigate the next 12 months right like the foundations are in place you know, insurances, the the tech you mentioned, good people around us now, good network. Now it's the time to execute. Yeah, we need to be really careful around getting the right partners and buildings and properties on board to make sure we, we execute the next phase really well. We are looking at a cross sector of that industry as we were just talking about, you know, where do we deploy? Is it master plan communities? Is it retirement villages? Is it apartment? And, and we actually want to test all of them so we get an understanding of the usage across those different asset classes. So yeah, the next 12 months is going to be fun. It'll stretch us. We've got a small team and we've got a pipeline of sort of 40 or 50 properties that we will want to be deploying in. We've got good access to vehicles, which, you know, was a worry for a little while, especially with supply constraints around the world. And how do we make sure that when a property says, yes, please, next week, that we've got vehicles available? And we do, which is really, really cool. So yeah, now it's about just getting the next partners onboarded and bringing them on the journey. We often get challenged around the data and the uptake and the usage and all that sort of stuff. And the truth is that we don't really know. Even the data at our early deployments, it's hard to use that to inform what it's going to be like in this building, for example. So we need the right sort of partners to come on the journey with us and say, hey, let's do a pilot. Let's figure this thing out. We can then all collectively assess the data and how we've worked together and see where else we do it in the future. So this would be a great time to also take a step out of the business and focus a bit more on yourself. I mean, I think it's incredible what you're doing and what you've pieced together and the knowledge that you bring to the table. So what I'd love to understand is sort of from yourself and being the, the leader of the business, you know, what steps have you taken to develop yourself in that manner? This is, I guess, a, a personal sort of interest in mine as well. Yeah, again, probably not enough at the moment. I come back to the deliberate point. Like there's steps that I've taken sort of organically and surrounded myself with the right people that have kind of been through it and done bits and make sure I get feedback on stuff. Probably haven't been deliberate around whatever it is, whether it's doing a CEO school or whatever, which, you know, kind of does exist. There's also a transition point, I think, where at the moment I see myself as founder and the, the reason this thing exists, kind of responsible for everything and just getting things going through to then becoming the CEO, because I don't particularly see myself as CEO at the moment. It's the chief everything officer more than executive. And so at this point, it's around community and getting the right people on board and around us to make sure that we execute it really well. When you become a CEO and generally running a company and the challenges change at every stage. Yeah, so apart from surrounding myself, read a lot and follow a lot of some of the great CEOs of, of our time. And again, a lot of that's around people and team building and empowering people and getting out of the way and that sort of stuff. And that's the stuff that I'm so excited for in the next phase when we start to build a team of great people. So what about things like coaching and mentorship? Is there a, do you actively pursue those kinds of avenues to help you see a bit more laterally? And Definitely. I mean, through the, the River City Labs program, you know, I've got a bit of that organically. One 
of the challenges in startup world, and especially in tech world, is there's plenty of people willing to give you advice. And there's a phenomenon called advisor whiplash, where you just take on way too much and then you lose yourself in that kind of world because you've got 10 people telling you to do slightly different things, coming from different viewpoints and uh, not necessarily coming from the market and, and having seen it done in this tech company or whatever. So you've got to go a bit careful in that space a little bit. So finding the right advisors and mentors is a challenge. I went through another program in Brisbane called a PropTech pilot program. So Property Tech, good team running that from within side Brisbane Economic Development Agency. They provide a bit of coaching and mentoring, but generally got out of the way and pushed us into industry. Senior figures within industry that then became industry mentors for me, which was really, really cool. So kind of have good engagement with the industry side and getting good mentorship on, on that side. And actually through previous work in transport world, you know, I've got good mentors on industry. I think the next phase and the, again, being deliberate about it, getting the sort of founder CEO coaching and the, the emotional support side and how you build a business and how you manage having a family around that and your wider personal finances and that sort of support and mentoring is going to be really important. So yeah, there's a real mix of people you need to around, but you need to go careful because there's everyone's willing to give their opinion. You're right. It, uh, there are a lot of people that, that can give you a ton of advice. So being strategic about who you listen to, that's a hard one because you've also got to sort of listen as well. And there's enough people that I've spoken to that I sort of say, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not going to do that. You know, I sort of go away and think through it and try and be rational about it and go, that doesn't align with my values or where I think we're going. And so I'm not going to choose to listen to that bit of advice. It doesn't happen very often. I do like people challenging me and giving me opinions on stuff because it's no good having a load of people around you that just say yes. We're building a good team of people that are challenging things that I've already done uh, for whatever reason. They understand why I make decisions quite quickly to get on with stuff. Challenging those and help me kind of learn in the future. What would you say the most difficult thing is at this point in time, being the founder and with what you do? Which bit of it? <laughs> there you go. It's yeah, all. mate, it's a bit of everything. I mean, luckily, I really enjoy the process. I enjoy having the level of responsibility and control and the flexibility to kind of do it my way, our way in terms of how we're building the business and, and really like that. The challenges are all the stuff that you still have to do because it's a business, whether that's on the the accounting and the financing side or whether that's the legal aspects, the contractual aspects, it's the, the sort of uh, really important foundations of building a company but I just really love the application side of it and where we're going. So yeah, so and so at the moment, obviously I'm doing all of it, but quite quickly gonna want a good team around me to take some of that off. And we're looking at ways to do that in the short term as well, just so I can focus on the bit that I'm better placed you to really love. Given the mentorship and the guidance that you've had to date and the fact that you're in the, in the midst of building this fantastic business, do you have any rules that you have sort of developed in which you live your business life by? I mean, I'm really big on community, bringing people on the journey, powering people, getting out of the way of them. You know, I love partnering with good people and letting them go. Yeah, that's something that's really important to me. I don't want to micromanage. I don't want to be in the sort of nuts and bolts of everything. I just want to trust people to do a good job and then and, and then vice versa, right? Let, let them trust that I'll go and do the best job I can to help get the thing going. So community building is really important, whether that's at the sort of local level of the team that we have to execute on everything. So that's down to building great culture and good uh, ways of communicating with each other and us all knowing the boundaries around how we do that. And then also with the partners and the property partners that we end up bringing on, success story for them and their business as well. 
And then all the wider, you know, wider community around that even where tech partners and our hardware partners and the charging partners and the insurers and the cities and everyone like that. And we just want my philosophy that we can't do this alone and be a closed, small box and team. We have to go and empower people, explain what we're doing, work with them and and, um, and help them achieve what they're trying to do. I'd like to end on one final question. And that's with you running Outbound, what has it enabled you to achieve in in your life is it something that's more focused on purely an achievement point of view or is it financial family orientated or lifestyle it's a nice question i think <laughs> it's certainly not financial yet <laughs> <laughs> and, and you know that's part of the the risk because you sort of a few of those things you're balancing right like you're giving up the financial reward in the short term to go and achieve other things so when but when the first car went live didn't dwell on it for long but you go we've actually achieved something quite impressive and you know we've got to the starting gate which a lot of people don't do and a lot of companies don't do and you know we did that i just loved that aspect of it the wider sort of flexibility and freedom of running your own thing is great got a young family two little boys and a, and a wonderful fiance and trying to balance that in a regular job is really hard. Trying to balance that when you're a founder is really, really hard, but I can be more flexible in my timing. Can work late into the evening and have a good gap in the day where I spend with them. And that's. And I wanna make sure that that is retained as we go through the next phase because yeah, watching those little boys grow is gonna be really, you know, it's gonna be really important for me. And I've learned a lot from my family. And so yeah, the, the flexibility and the ability to spend time with them is gonna be really important. And hopefully, you know, I sort of full belief in the future of the company. And I think hopefully we can be financially rewarding, not just for me and the family, but for the wider community that we bring along on the journey. Luke, this has been an absolutely amazing conversation. Thank you so much for being with me and for sharing your insights. I'm so looking forward to seeing where, where this goes. Thank you, Harry. It's been a pleasure, mate. This is the end of the episode. I'm sure you'll agree that Luke and his entrepreneurial journey were just fascinating to listen to. In the context of property developments, the eye-opener for me was the idea of designing and providing the right kind of mobility instead of simple car parking. As you recall in the conversation, the flow-on effects from installing outbound technology and hardware are far-reaching for progressive property developers and property owners alike. How good would it be not to have to dig out as much of a basement and to have this service for your prospective purchasers or tenants? How good would it be not to need a second car for those few extra trips a week and to have a Tesla on your doorstep? How good would it be to know that you're helping lessen the impact on our planet, something we're all rapidly understanding is teetering on the edge of increasingly extreme change? Luke, a massive thank you for sharing your journey, your knowledge and the value that your company is creating. I'd also like to make a special mention to our mutual friend and colleague Martin Lewenberger for the recording location at 1 Bly Street up on level 25. It's not too shabby a place to record a fantastic episode with a gun barrel view down to the bridge and the harbour. If you've enjoyed this episode, please take a second to rate the podcast on your favourite listening platform. Your support in turn helps this podcast find new listeners. Well, that's it from me for this month. I'd like to thank you for listening in and I look forward to sharing the next month's episode with you very shortly. Bye for now. Thanks for listening to Business and Property Development. Join us next month for more insights from people whose business is property. To subscribe and listen to other episodes, head over to businessandpropertydevelopment.com.au.